Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. And just like that, Habit is able to reopen their plants and make baby formula, and it's like, oh, everything's just fine. Of course, it's not fine. What we've learned about government and government interference is every reason why I'm not a big government guy, and I'm willing to bet you're not either. And after you understand what's happened, maybe you won't be going forward. What we have here is re not redundancies. When something goes wrong, you've got backup plans. What we have here is government being the problem. Was it a problem to shut down the, the, the formula producing plant? Because you had two infants die due to what they claim was formula. Well, after you do the looking and you see that as a great bunch of reporting shows, maybe it wasn't the formula. Of course, Abbott is swearing up and down about this. I'm not, I'm not surprised, neither are you, that a company would say, hey, it wasn't us. But supposedly the FDA's own research said it wasn't Abbott. So why was this formula plant shut down for three months? Why does the FDA have so much power? And what in the world is it about baby formula where we all of a sudden see all of this nonsense regulation? Well, Tony, it's not nonsense to keep babies safe, is it? It's nonsense to say only one group of people is allowed to sell formula to this specific need. Why are we engaged in the monopolistic attitude? Why can't more people make baby formula? Why in the world are we keeping this from people, from an opportunity to have more access and lower costs? Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. What is going on, everybody? 833, got Tony, 833-468-8669. That is the number. Feel free uh, to call in. Now, uh, we've got the Pennsylvania primaries today. Uh, we're going to talk to Chris DeGaulle of uh, 990 The Answer there in Philadelphia. Longtime Philadelphia morning host, knows the Pennsylvania people and what's going on with these three candidates, whether it's Dr. Oz, whether it's Kathy Barnett, or it's David McCormick, and what he thinks might play out. We're also taking a look at what's going on, the latest in Ukraine, the $40 billion that did get voted for. Is this nation building? I'm in favor of helping Ukraine fight Russia. I don't mind sending them arms. I don't mind sending them artillery. I have no interest in nation building. None. It's why I said from the beginning, holding up this $40 billion, nothing wrong with it whatsoever. I knew it was going to go. I knew it was going to get spent. But what Senator Rand Paul did, what Congressman uh, Thomas Massey did, and asking some questions, letting us know that we can't just spend on spend on spend for forever, we get into it with retired U.S. Army Major Mike Lyons. But man, this formula, this formula conversation is a doozy because it is very, very clear that when we take a look at government regulation, we are not better off. Say it with me now. 
We're not better off. Regulation doesn't make us safer. Regulation makes us more dependent. And then people had the absolute audacity, mind scramble in my view. Oh, you want to make your, you want to make your own uh, formula? Well, no, no, that's just too dangerous. Can't be doing that. What do you mean you can't be doing that? Why in the world can you not make your own formula? What's the big deal? You, uh, your kid. You check your with your doctor. Why can't you make such a thing? Well, no, it's too dangerous to make your own formula. How the hell did the species get to this moment? If people weren't making their own food, you always had to wait until something was on the shelves from Procter & Gamble, or in this case, case, Abbott? What a ridiculous statement. But when you create a dependency culture... You tell people making your own baby food is too dangerous. It's not too dangerous. We said it here from the beginning, and how'd we say it? How'd we say it? Check with your doctor. That's how we said it. Check with your doctor. That makes sense to me. So Abbott Labs are up 4% today in terms of their stock price. They're going to open this uh, manufacturing plant in Michigan. They're going to restart shipments within eight weeks. Oh, yeah, uh, two months. So what happens between now and then? Well, what happens between now and then is that Nestle, which is based in, they're based in France, right? I mean, I know they actually have a plant right up the road here in Indiana. I mean, I drive by it. Uh, if, you're, if you're on the way between Indianapolis and Fort Wayne, boom, there it is. Um, they're going to start bringing baby formula in from Europe to the United States. It's going to take them eight weeks to get back on track. I would remind people, uh, uh, not remind, I would insist that people remember how to take control of their own lives and handle situations where they might not be able to find things on the regular. Big believer in in the idea that you can uh, and should be in charge of of your own life it's your kid you better damn well know how to feed your kid i don't think that's i don't think that's too crazy of a thought but it's gonna take two months to get back two months to get the plant back up and running to a place where you've got you, you've got things on the shelves. Meanwhile, speaking of the shelves, retail spending increased by almost a full percent in April. And people go, you see, you see, people are, 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 are out there and they're spending and this is great. First of all, the estimate was a percent and it came in as 0.9%. So it's just under the estimate. And here's where it's awesome. April gains were powered by a 4% gain from miscellaneous retail and a 2.1% jump in online sales. 4% gain from miscellaneous retail? What the? What in the world is a miscellaneous, a miscellaneous retail? Are, are, do you mean in, in, inflation? Because we've seen this more than once. That we see an increase in spending, but the increase in spending has to do with an actual increase in the cost of goods as opposed to the actual buying of goods. 
So as the Commerce Department reported, excluding autos, sales increased 0.6%, which was better than the 0.4% estimate. Not adjusted for inflation, so I am right. We're talking about how increased costs have increased the idea of the amount of spending that we're doing. Problem is, we still don't have enough goods to purchase. The markets, they're responding to all of this in some pretty positive ways. The Dow is up 220, the NASDAQ is up 206. Is that going to remain? I don't know. I was looking at uh, some crypto uh, uh, earlier uh, of mine. I'm like, ah, once again, I am not retiring just yet. But in all of these cases, government, whether we're talking about the formula or whether we're talking about the inflation, government this place that we're told is supposed to do great things and know what's best for us they poured billions and trillions of dollars into the economy trillions of dollars into the economy and then said huh maybe maybe we shouldn't have done such a thing maybe what we we should not have done is just put so much cash in there and not thought about what happens when you put too much cash in a system. Was that was from the World Bank or was that from the 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 IMF? I I, I forget which 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 uh, group uh, the the woman said that from. We didn't think enough about what would happen. Oh, is that right? That's a, that's a real problem if you weren't considering what was happening and what could be happening. Frightening stuff. We're going to tell people they can't go to work because of COVID. Oh, and I've got some, I've got some audio for Fauci, from Fauci later. Oh, God, I don't like that guy. We've got to put billions and trillions into the economy. We're going to bail out this one, that one, and the other one, and then not think about the ramifications. That's so freaking ugly. But that's government. Why should they worry uh, about the, the ramifications? They don't have to. Because their answer is, well, the people this, or, uh, well, we'll just uh, we'll charge them that. Isn't this their argument on taxation time and time and time again? If they, There has been an argument that what they need to do is increase taxes because that'll get more cash out of the system, even though they're the ones who put the cash into the system. It's a radical thought if you ask me. If we had more people with the ability, more companies with the ability to make baby formula and didn't have these exclusive contracts through government agencies, would we have the shortage? Would we have the shortage of formula we have right now? Mm. I don't think so. 
More people making formula would mean that if Abbott was taken offline for whatever reason, you'd still have people making formula. So maybe your specific brand of formula would be hard to come by. But there could be other brands of formula that could be used. But if it's the only formula, no matter the brand name, on the shelves, well then. Government is the issue. Government is the problem, to paraphrase Reagan. Too much government is a bad thing. Notice I said too much. I didn't say no government. I'm not about no government. Don't be crazy. I am not an anarchist. And by the way, most anarchists aren't anarchists. The guys from Antifa who claim that they're anarchists, first punch to the face, they will fall to the floor, fetal position, wetting themselves, screaming for their mama's basement. That's who they are. Bunch of pansy jerk faces. I'm not in favor of just walking around punching people either. Remember, they're not anti-fascists. They're fascists, these Antifa guys. They're lowlifes. They are violence. And if you're confronted by them in a physical way, it is okay, in my view, to protect and defend yourself. It's also very funny to watch them wet themselves and call for their mommy. I got it. It is. It's. It's. It. It has always gives me a fine chuckle. Government did this. Government created the inflation. Government created the scarcity of baby formula. And then government had the audacity to tell you, "Don't make it on your own." They create the problem, then demand to still have the power and the control. Son of a gun. Ain't that something? Remember this going forward. Remember this as you vote. The people who tell you that government needs to do more, this is what they do. Maybe you don't want that in your life. I'm Tony Katz. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, President Biden... Speaking in Buffalo about the shooting that took place there, 10 people murdered, three injured. Let's take it to President Biden as he speaks about this. We've been reading about them. We visited the memorial where they show the love for them, and you've all shown by the supermarket. And uh, Celestine Cheney, 65 years old, brain cancer survivor, churchgoer, bingo player, went to buy strawberries to make her favorite shortcake. A loving mother and a grandmother. Roberta Drury, 32, beloved daughter and sister, moved back home to help take care of her brother after his bone marrow transplant. She went to buy groceries for dinner. The center of attention who made everyone in the room laugh and smile when she walked in. Andre McNeil, excuse me, Andre McNeil, 53, worked at a restaurant, went to buy his three-year-old son a birthday cake. His son selling a birthday, asking where's daddy. <clears throat> Catherine Massey, 72, a writer and an advocate who dressed up in costumes at schools and cut the grass in the park and helped in local elections, the glue of the family and the community. Marcus Morrison, 52, school bus aide, went to buy snacks for a weekly movie night with the family. 
survived by his wife and three children and a stepdaughter, the center of their world. Hayward Patterson, 67, father, church deacon, fed the homeless at the soup kitchen, gave rides at the grocery store to neighbors who needed help, putting food in the trunk of others when he took his final breath. Aaron Salter, 55, retired Buffalo police officer for three decades. And the list goes on. And that's the horror. Uh, I, I, I don't fault uh, the, the, the president for going through these people who were murdered, and they were murdered, and there's no other way to say it. I think it is equally okay to ask why Buffalo and not Waukesha. The politics involved are real. A black man injures dozens, murders six by driving his car over people. No one talks about it as a hate crime, and no one brings it to the front pages. What happened here was evil. You know, I don't believe in hate crimes. A crime is a crime is a crime. It's not different in Waukesha and Buffalo. But these 10 people were murdered because this guy, this 18-year-old, picked a neighborhood with what he thought would be the highest density of black people. He, that's why it happened. He's also an anti-Semite. He also hates Fox News. He also says, I'm definitely not a conservative. Doesn't stop the political people from screaming about Tucker Carlson or some other kind of craziness. And as long as we continue to engage these things politically, we'll never get anything done. And that's the problem with Joe Biden going to Buffalo. Not because the president shouldn't go to Buffalo. Because this president picks and chooses. This president is political from the word go. Don't ask me to all of a sudden find him to be warm and loving and caring and decent and good when he is not. I don't fault him for being there. I think it's acceptable to question why he doesn't show up anywhere else. And I think when he screams about gun violence, but doesn't talk about underpinnings, when he screams about white supremacy and doesn't talk about hate and Toto, he does us a great disservice. One man's thought, I'll have more on this. Meanwhile, in Pennsylvania, there's a primary going on. Chris DeGaulle, Philadelphia-based radio host, uh, I spoke with him about what's going to happen today. We'll talk about it. Keep it here. Chris DeGaul, ChrisDeGaul.com. Uh, you can find him over there at The Answer, uh, AM 990 in Philadelphia. Uh, so here's how outside of Pennsylvania looks at this, this race, Chris. Yes, they sir. look at it and, and, and they say to themselves, um, holy crap, is this messed up? Because we've got one celebrity, one guy who looks the part of the perfect Republican, and then we've got this woman who we would rationally be excited uh, about, yet we don't know a damn thing about her, and she kind of hides who she is. So let's start with the basics. Let's go through these three main candidates, Oz, Barnett, or Barrett, and, and, uh, and, and McCormick. Who are these three people? Yeah, uh, I'll start with the most obvious one, and that's Dr. Mehmet Oz, who um, 
is the most famous by a lot. He's the Trump favorite, of course. He's known for 15 years of syndicated television. Um, the problem, if I could say there's a problem for Dr. Oz, is that, um, and this also goes for Dave McCormick, these are two guys that Pennsylvanians feel like, where you been? Where you been? I mean, you say you're Pennsylvanians, but you haven't lived in Pennsylvania. You know, Mehmet Oz has been a syndicated TV host, so to be fair, I mean, of course, he's not doing his shows in Pennsylvania. Um, you know, he has in-laws there. He went to Penn Medicine there, I think. Uh, his wife's from there. There's some question as to how long he's actually called Pennsylvania home. As for Dave McCormick, he's a seventh-generation Pennsylvanian, but um, he spent a lot of his time in Connecticut, where he's been a hedge fund guy. Um, Kathy Barnett is somebody who is um, not new to me. She's not new to my audience because we've been interviewing her for the last two years. She ran for Congress on the House side unsuccessfully. And a lot of people have attacked her for that and said, well, she lost by almost 20 points. And I say to that, well, yeah, she did. But so did Donald Trump. He lost that district she ran in worse by 26 points. So I've tried really hard to be neutral on this thing, Tony. I have not taken a position. I've not endorsed. I, I, I'm. They've all come on the show. In fact, just this morning, they all came on my show again. Kathy has certainly given me most time. Um, I've spent more time. Our listeners have spent more time with Kathy than any other. She surged, though, Tony, very simply for one reason, and that's Dr. Oz. Because he's famous and because the nation was keyed in on this because of Oz and right. Trump's fame, people watched these debates. And Kathy Barnett sort of exploded onto the scene, and everybody went, who is this woman? I mean, truth is, she's been running for 13 months, but nobody heard of her until national media started watching these debates. Yeah, Oz but, sort of created her. But isn't there, isn't there a part two to Kathy Barnett? We'll get into Oz's inabilities in, in, in a second. Isn't there a, a thing about Kathy Barnett, right? There, there's a military background to Kathy Barnett. There's a, you know, there are things that you can applaud and like, but she's worked almost extra hard Chris, to keep herself kind of hidden, to keep her backgrounds kind of hidden. She's got a, a, a horrible personal story in terms of a, a childhood rape, as it's described, and, and, and she describes it, and then goes on to what we would consider to be great things, but it's kind of hard to find. Jim Garrity of National Review has, has written about it. Selena Zito, Washington Examiner, has, has written about it. it does, does Pennsylvania think she's hiding something or does Pennsylvania no. uh, think that it's just one of those things that we don't really care about that stuff? We care about what you'll do for us right now. I think it's the latter. I mean, I, I would be presumptuous of me to say I'd love to believe that all my listeners represent the entirety of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Um, not the case, I know. And that's not to say universally there are no listeners of mine that are, aren't suspicious of Kathy Barnett. Right. Um, the truth of the matter is what I find anecdotally my observations, at least in my audience, seem to suggest that the more people attack Kathy, the more hardened her support becomes. They don't. It's like they love Trump. They love Trump. And Trump came to you know Pennsylvania a couple of weeks ago for Oz. Big field, big attendance, people cheering Trump. And then Oz rolls out and there's a smattering of booze. There's something there's just not a something's not connecting there and Barnett is surging and she's connecting because people view her as authentic, much like they viewed Trump as authentic in 2016. And the more people say she can't win, she's mysterious. She says indelicate things. She's not well prepped. She's going to get killed. The more people hammer her, particularly cable news hosts, um, tell Pennsylvanians who can win and can't win my audience is starting to get kind of ticked off at that, to be honest. Wait, hold on. If you're going to call out cable news hosts, I might as well burn the bridges with you. Who is 
Who, who is causing the problems for you? <laughs> Not me. I'm just saying there are a couple of cable news hosts out there that are so hardened in their support for Oz and so committed to trashing Kath, uh, Kathy Barnett. So I will no tell you that my audience. Pardon? So no one with a cork up their nose? Uh, Which look. is one of the, I mean, you I, th that was Mark Levin on Laura Ingram. It was one of the more interesting lines I'd ever heard because I had never heard anybody refer to somebody else as having a cork up their nose. I sure. almost want to email the man, I don't know him, and be like, what does that mean? Where does that come from? Okay, good. So you don't, I, I was trying to think of what that meant. You don't know either. Okay, no, good. No, never. Never heard that a day in my life. That did not come up in Brooklyn once Chris DeGaulle from AM 990, the answer in Philadelphia. Uh, the, the, the Dr. Oz thing, right? The Trump endorsement of Dr. Oz, big deal, massive deal. That's big. a mover and a shaker. People want that endorsement. Um, what is it that he hasn't shown in debates or in the retail politic uh, that has people saying, yeah, he's got name, but that's not enough for me? I. I hate saying this this way because it sounds so kind of simple, but there's something about his fame that's working against him. Um, Dave McCormick and Oz have this issue with, their, um, you know, for the better part of several months, they've come into the campaign with tons and tons of money. Most estimates put it at somewhere between 60 and $80 million. Those two men have spent shooting at one another exclusively. And uh, Dave McCormick's a huge hedge fund guy, very wealthy. Oz, obviously a very famous TV guy, very wealthy. All that wealth and all that money and all that firing back and forth, this, this particular voter base seemed to be so turned off by them both. And you had some lesser tiered candidates who were regularly making appearances on shows like mine saying, where have these guys been? All their money. They parachute in from out of nowhere. They're spending a ton of cash trying to convince you they're authentic Pennsylvanians. Where have they been? We've been here. Where have they been? It's worked. Like there's something about Oz. There's no, nothing wrong with him. I mean, he says everything right every time. He never stumbles. He never stammers. He never doesn't have an answer. He never doesn't make sense. Uh, he's never not charming. He's always personable. And yet for some reason, all I hear is I don't trust him. I don't believe him. He's Oprah's friend. He's an Hollywood guy. He's got all these TV clips we've seen. I, I, I don't trust him. And right. I, I like it's for you would look at him and I understand Trump's decision making here. He's famous. He can go into black Philadelphia, female Philadelphia mm -hmm. and connect because he's famous and on TV. And he's even admitted to me today. Does that come into play? Is that important? He says, oh, yeah, sure it is. And right. it is. It does matter. Sorry if that's cynical, but it's true. How so I get it. Trump may want to run in 2024. He needs Pennsylvania. And he thinks Oz is somebody that could help him. That's my how much, calculation. How much of Oz is this, oh, he's just a rhino. Oh, look at his past history. Oh, he's just changing for this election. How much of it is that? Huge. That's um, really. I've, I've heard people say he's Mitt Romney on TV. Like he's a TV version of Mitt Romney, a TV doctor version of Mitt Romney more than maybe any other criticism. They're confident he's going to sell out the second he gets to the Senate. Like my, like, my audience, I, I hate like, to sound like, like I'm like, speaking like, for all Pennsylvania Republican voters. I, he may well win today, Tony. He may win. He may win by a lot. Hold on. Define sellout. What do they think specifically that Oz is going to do? He gets to the Senate. He's got his nice suit on. He's sworn in. And the first thing he does is what? Vote with Mitch McConnell. There's such anger at Mitch McConnell, for instance, um, uh, you know, bailing out, you, you know, sending 40 billion to Ukraine. 
uh, maybe as an example. Um, um, it's interesting. I mean, you couldn't say he'd vote to, you know, like Pat Toomey, the guy that's leaving. Pat Toomey, the Republican, voted to impeach Donald Trump the second time, for instance. So Pennsylvania Republicans are really soured and mistrustful of the Republican brand right now. And they don't want anybody going there to play nice with Mitch McConnell. They've made that clear. And so they think he's going to be a parliamentarian. And, and one of the things he said, one of his, well, his very first appearance on my show, I asked him what he thought about Mitch McConnell. Uh, he said, well, I think he's done some very good things. And so naturally that was made an ad that ran all over Pennsylvania. Dr. Oz thinks Mitch McConnell has done some very good things. You know, oh, look at I'm- you auditioning. Now <laughs> in a world where Dr. Oz <laughs> thinks Mitch McConnell has done very good things. I mean, I'm not. I, I don't think it's outrageous to say Mitch McConnell's done good things. I think he has too. I don't think that's unfair. But boy, right. that seemed to stick to him, and like now people feel like he's going to be his pal and not toss him out. But I think the same can be said about Dave McCormick. Here's the thing, Tony. What I haven't mentioned. There's like, depending on the poll you read, ten to fifteen percent undecided. So you have these three candidates with some soft support, and then another ten to that are tied, virtually tied. Right. And then 10 to 15% who haven't made up their mind yet. Literally any of these three could win tomorrow, and it wouldn't surprise me. So I, this is the Real Clear Politics average right here that has Oz at 26.8, Barnett at 24.2, and McCormick at 19.6, uh, uh, even though in the last two polls he was in the 20s uh, there uh, with this. If you're calling this thing, man, as you're as much of a – prognosticator as I am or, or, or anybody else's. Um, which one is easiest for Pennsylvania Republicans to get to the victory line with in a general? Because that's the question. Everything else is nonsense. Who yeah. gets the general? Who picks up anybody who may not like the Democrat in, in Pittsburgh or in Western Pennsylvania and Toto? Here's what I think first ought to be said and isn't being said enough. John Fetterman is a terrible candidate and a terrible Democrat. And the Democrat Party is terrible. The executive branch. He's got 50 percent of the vote, according to the polls. The yeah, that, yeah, he's not. It's not even going to come close. The guy's an oaf. I mean, he's like a seven foot tall, you know, not that there's anything wrong with being bald, but he's 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 bald. He's got the goatee. He looks like he's from, uh, you know, he's he's like uh uh, he looks like Daughtry on a bender from 1998 or something. It's just he's it's not a good look. I don't quite understand what he's I mean, this belongs on the radio, Tony. It doesn't belong running for office. Uh, he just he's a goon. He's got a pot flag hanging out his lieutenant governor's office. He's a progressive lunatic. And his boss, Governor Wolf, has destroyed the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. I don't know what the guy runs on. So I would just first like to say any of these three Republican candidates ought to be able to kick his ass quite candidly. Chris Tegall, ChrisTegall.com. Uh, we had that conversation a little bit earlier uh, on my morning video series, Rumble.com slash Tony Katz. Uh, and and I, I got to say, I, I was a little surprised to hear him say there's no reason that any of these Republicans don't kick uh, the Democrats' butt. Oh, he was... He was a little more uh, uh, clear-spoken on that one than, than I am. I, I, I Kick their ass. All right, fine. I'm not afraid. Don't say that I am. I have less faith in the Republican Party. I'm not going to throw Chris under the bus there by saying he has too much faith. He, he's, he's making a, a smart assessment from, from knowing the landscape, knowing the people, having spent years uh, in, in, in the Pennsylvania radio market, that... Um, there, there's no reason why it shouldn't happen. 
And yes, th- this guy uh, from, from the Democrats, a guy who had a stroke. He had a stroke the other day. I mean, l- look, I don't like his politics at all. I think he's just, I think he's, he's just a, one of these you know, barbaric types, right? Uh, proud of his socialism, proud of Democrats, and absolutely believes in dehumanizing anybody who disagrees with him. He's, he's that kind of, of bully guy. I don't wish a stroke on the dude. Good Lord. That's just awful. Um, I, I would I would say that just on that presentation style, that uh, Republicans, whether it's Oz, McCormick, or Barrett, um, I, I always say Barrett. I always say it's Barnett. I always forget the N in Kathy Barnett. Uh, c- could win this thing. My fear is that what the Republicans have done here by not being a little more focused. And remember, we only brought up three candidates. There's seven in this Republican primary. My fear here is that they haven't vetted enough and haven't done enough of the oppo research, opposition research, to be able to figure out what attacks are going to come at them to then be able to deflect. Remember, when Republicans are attacking Republicans, they want to win, but there is an extent to which it is friendly fire. Not always, but in in the main, you can kind of gloss over it. Now you've utilized that stuff, so it gets used against you, and then, and then, you have what it is we don't know, the things that weren't looked at because the money was spent in fighting this race as opposed to preparing for a general. I'm not arguing against people running for office. I'm in favor of people running for office. I do sometimes question whether or not Republicans do a good enough job in trying to say, hey, maybe you shouldn't be running for this. Hey, uh, maybe you got to step out of this race, you know, trying to, to work those angles. And don't tell me they don't get worked. Of course they get worked. Are they successful? Not so much. Not always, I should say. Sometimes they are. Absolutely they are. But my fear is not enough time has been put into how you're going to deal with the general and the level of viciousness that's going to come your way. Remember, it doesn't matter who the Republican is. They're a Nazi. That, that is absolutely how it's going to be said. They're going to say, Kathy Barnett, what are you kidding? Oh, God. And then they're going to look at David McCormick and be like, David McCormick, what are you kidding? And then they're going to look at Dr. Oz. Actually, I should have played for David McCormick. Ew, David. That would have been much better. Shame on me. And then for Dr. Oz, you're going to vote for Dr. Oz. Well, he's just a, he's just a Nazi. think when you tuned into the show the first time you would hear so much of the musical the producers i mean honestly did you ever did did you ever (laughs) we'll see what happens i'll have the full results for you tomorrow keep it here i'm tony katz
So I have a full breakdown of what Biden said while he was in Buffalo. But I'll, I'll discuss it again. I'll gladly ask again, why only Buffalo? Uh, the new White House press secretary, Karine Jean-Pierre, got asked this question. How come the president is visiting Buffalo after a senseless tragedy there, but he couldn't visit Waukesha after six were killed and 61 injured in an attack by a Christmas parade there? I mean, he's visited many communities. Buffalo, he was, you know, he was, he's able to go tomorrow to Buffalo. He wasn't able to go to Waukesha? It plays poorly. It does play political at a time where he shouldn't be. What did he have to say about Buffalo? The once again attack on gun owners and six months on Ultra MAGA. Keep it here.